0: Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 through 29. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all un- your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you those I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your Uncleanliness.
1: Well, you may be seated, dears. After two weeks of not wearing this, it's getting a little bit like I have to readjust it, right? So a couple of, of guest preachers, and everybody uses the microphone. and so good to everybody. It's just so wonderful to see you. Smiling, wonderful, happy faces, full of the joy of the Lord Jesus. Tonight we're looking at that great text that Elder Craig just read out of the famous 36th chapter of Ezekiel. So it is Holy Week, and that reminds us of the blood of Jesus that cleanses away all our sins. Let's be thankful as we open with prayer. Father, we thank you that that's true. As we have this meditation tonight, may we consider from the Old Covenant the wonderful uh, decree that you, the Son and the Holy Spirit agreed on, in our language, in the covenant of redemption in eternity past, that the second person would become a human being and shed blood for elect sinners who would become the body of Christ, the church of God. We thank you for this. We bless you. We pray with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the doctrine that the blood of Christ cleanses away all our sins is certainly a hallmark creed of our most holy Christian faith. We do know that. But a lot of people don't realize that it was often taught in the Old Covenant, Old Testament as well. And we're going to see that tonight from this famous text, the New Covenant type language of Ezekiel 36. The book of Ezekiel was written by a priest, one of the priestly class of Israel, but he was a priest that was in exile in the sixth century in Babylon. So as a priest, of course, he, he was very literate and educated. He also did know the old covenant law. He understood the written word of God that had come down that far in history. He comprehended the fact that the law of God, especially the book of Leviticus, dictated that sacrifices for sin, blood being shed, would have to be done for the forgiveness of sin. But ironically, if you think about Ezekiel's life in 6th century B.C., Babylon, he never practiced animal sacrifice because there was no temple And there was no freedom to do that. And yet, despite that, he, like Daniel in his day, was able to be faithful as as a churchman of those times in the Old Covenant. And he does here give us this wonderful expression of his inspiration by the Holy Spirit in this 36th chapter. The blood of Jesus gives us life. You know that the doctrine of blood in the Bible speaks of life, but also death. Both are included in that. And because of Jesus Christ, we have good news. And if it wasn't for his blood being shed, there would be no gospel at all. We would have no hope. We'd be dead and lost in trespasses and sins and eternally condemned. But instead of that, we have all good things in Jesus. Therefore, let's make it our goal this evening to revel in the gospel of Christ's grace and love. If you... Notice the back of that little half-sheet outline, or a bulletin does have an outline on it, if you wish to use it. We're looking at Ezekiel 36, 24 through 29a, the blood of cleansing. The blood of cleansing is typified in our baptisms. Children, typified means it's signified, or <laughs> that doesn't help you much, it, it's signed, it's, it's made known, it's shown, if you will, in our baptisms, verses 24 and 25. Remember that water baptism is a sign and seal of God's covenant of grace. And it does indeed speak of spirit baptism. And spirit baptism, when the Holy Spirit regenerates a dead, lost, rebellious soul, is the application of the atonement of Jesus Christ, his blood wrought on the cross for sinners. The Holy Spirit then applies that reality to the dead, lost soul, and that soul is born again. It comes to life. It was dead, and now it lives. That's the glory of the work of the Spirit in spirit baptism. He anoints us with the blood of Christ. Water baptism signifies this glorious reality, and that's why we do that, of course. Now, both sacraments of the Christian church, baptism and the Lord's Supper, speak of Jesus' blood atonement of his elect church. The blood of cleansing is typified in our baptisms. First, Christ cleanses us from the world, verses 24 and 25a. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. Now this was, of course, very great news for the people living in Babylon at that time. To hear from this prophet that they would be leaving that. He would be taking them out of that part of the world. And the world, generally speaking, the nations here, the countries, the Gentile places. And God has withdrawn us as church from the world. He's delivered us from the wrath to come. He's given us victory over the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, 1 John 5, 4. We studied that not long ago. This is a beautiful promise. The Jews that would read this knew that they would return someday to their homeland, at least their ancestors would. But more profoundly, many of them, the elect among them, would return to their Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who is always worshipped in the Old Testament and in the New by all true believers. There is no access to God outside of Jesus Christ, the God-man. He is the absolute only way to the Father. There is no other way. He says as much in John 14, 6. This is important. The prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaks also of new covenant baptism there in verse 25. Did you see that I will sprinkle clean water on you? You ever wonder why we sprinkle in baptism? Well, there's a good text for you right there. Sprinkle or pour, sometimes pouring. The Holy Spirit is poured out as at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So either... Either expression is fine. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, found the apostles taking hyssop branches, putting them in water, and sprinkling the multitudes of new converts that had come to Jesus in that glorious uh, event of Peter's preaching. Remember that? And this is the sprinkling that we're talking about right here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This prophecy of Ezekiel 36.25a, I think, is at least partially fulfilled in what happened in Acts 2.41, where the people did hear the gospel, believed, and were baptized in mass. That's how they were baptized. You know, the Jews of Ezekiel's day were polluted by the world, but so are we. If we're not in Christ and overcoming it, then we're under it and polluted by it. And the only way that pollution is removed is the blood righteousness of Christ himself. And in the Old Covenant, actually blood was sprinkled on people too. Did you know that? You can find that in Exodus 24, verse 8. Almost everything had to be purified with blood, as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 9. Everything had to be purified with blood. Now, we don't use blood today, and that's why water is the New Covenant symbol sprinkling or pouring, the expen- expunging of sin by the power of Jesus Christ's blood atonement, Hebrews ten twenty two. Christ cleanses us from the world, and Christ cleanses us from ourselves, verse 25b. From all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Isn't that neat? Sometimes we think of the world, big bad world, big bad world, and we can beat up on the world, and the world's bad, and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the biggest problem is within. You know, the world's really nothing compared to the flesh. I like what some of the Puritans say, we don't need a devil to sin. We'll do just fine without him. We don't need him. Our flesh is the real problem. You might remember that Jesus addressed the real heart of every sinner's problem. It's not out there. It's not somebody else. It's nobody else's fault. It's our fault. And he said this in Mark 7:23. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Again, the waters of baptism here apply to us. Our cleansing from sin is signified. But also, in, in the waters of baptism, we also have the signification of our belonging to Christ being adopted into his family, his church. And that's how people enter the church. A Christian is a baptized person, properly done. And that's how we come into the community of faith, and I refer you to Galatians 3.27. So there's tonight, the Savior cleansing us from the world, cleansing us from ourselves. That's good. The blood of cleansing is typified in our baptisms, and the blood of cleansing is or fulfills the new covenant, verses 26 and 27. You know, we can read the famous new covenant passage, and we, most of us who know our Bibles pretty well, is, and I don't assume that all of us do, and that's okay because we're all on a continuum of growth and, and love and grace and uh, understanding. But many of us know Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34, and that's that famous New Covenant passage. But here in Ezekiel, we have some great New Covenant language, too. Right here in verse, uh, these verses in chapter 36. But another example you might want to note is Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-six a which says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. That is the New Covenant right there in Jesus' blood prophesied here hundreds of years before Jesus came. The blood of cleansing fulfills the new covenant, putting the freshness of God within us, freshness. We all need to be renewed. We want and need newness. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh God doesn't refurbish us He completely replaces the old with the new He doesn't just tinker with things that are messed up He just throws it out the heart of stone, out the heart of flesh, which in this sense flesh is a good thing it feels, it beats it has emotions emotions you know, that's a good thing. Uh, when we're dead and lost in trespasses and sins, that's a bad thing. After Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and as the God-man Messiah is now reigning in heaven and on earth through his church, the Holy Spirit was and is poured out in regenerated, regenerating power, again as seen in Pentecost, Acts 2, 1-4. through 4. But here, a distinctive part of the new covenant is expressed to us in these verses and it kicks in. It is the indwelling nature of the moral will of God. In the old covenant the law of God was out there on stones, as it were. You know, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, is carrying the stones. First time he comes he sees the idolatry, throws the stones, he crushes them in the in the water, they makes the people drink it. Later on, he gets two more stones, which instead of God cutting them out, he cuts them out. It was written on stones, but in the New Covenant, it's the same moral will of God, a law of the Ten Commandments. Now, we don't have the ceremonial law, but the way we are created dictates that we need to know what to do, right? So nobody's saved by the law. No one can keep it, but it is the guideline for us. And in the New Covenant, it serves us in a much more powerful way. And that is that it's within us now. The law is written on our heart as if it was a stone, uh, a fleshly tablet that it's written on. And so we have this law within us, and it's a law of love because... The the greatest law is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so that's the main thing that governs all the the law of God. And we have to always keep that in mind. But it's within. And it teaches us how to live. And it continually drives us to Christ because we have a conscience and we have a a mind. And we understand when we fail and fall and, and are out of accord with God We don't feel good about that. That's a good thing. The Holy Spirit uses that to drive us not to despair, not to depression, not to hopelessness, but to Jesus himself, the one who bore the sins of his people. And you can read about that in Galatians 3.24, which I'm going to quote. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Isn't that beautiful? The law brings us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. We are conceived spiritually dead, and we need a new living heart, a heart of flesh and not of stone. The blood of cleansing fulfills the new covenant, putting the freshness of God within us and putting the spirit of God within us, verse 27. Now put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees is the footnote in the ESV that I prefer, but rules is okay too. The law of God without the Spirit of God would be an unmitigated disaster for us. <laughs> Wouldn't it, The law of God, this perfect holy God without the Spirit of God, what good would that be for us? That's the state of our friends who are outside of Christ though, and that ought to give us a lot of compassion for them. Notice here that the Spirit of God is the only one who can actually give us the power to actually obey God's commandment. Verse 27, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to obey my just decrees. Dead people cannot and do not obey God or love Christ. Only the sovereign work of God's grace in our lives, bringing us a new birth, can cause this to happen. This new birth is a beautiful thing. It's available for any who want it. We simply need to want it. It's our desire that matters. God is the author of it. He's the implementer of it, but we're responsible uh, we're responsible agents. The Holy Spirit lives in believers today. That's evident from verses such as 1 Corinthians 3:16, which says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The blood of cleansing is typified in our baptisms, fulfills the new covenant. And finally, the blood of cleansing brings us continual blessing, verses 28 and 29a. We're to keep living in the grace of the gospel after our baptisms. We see sort of a progression here. There's the sprinkling of water, there's baptism. And then there's the reception of all these wonderful gifts, freshness, the Spirit of God. We're to live in Christ in light of our love for Him. And the way this is done is by always placing our faith in our glorious Messiah and never taking our eyes off Him. When we face a difficult trial, when we feel despairing or afraid or confused, look immediately to the one, Jesus when you are uh, in, a, in a way and you feel dis, discouraged, turn the fight against your foes. Go on the offensive. The one who is with you is strong, and he will give you the victory. Never ever back off. Always go forward. Ask God for the way. He'll show you how to conquer all those foes that are ahead of you. The very events of of Holy Week that we celebrate found our all-powerful Messiah setting aside those prerogatives. He could have called down millions, billions of angels. He could have wiped out his enemies with no problem. But for our benefit, the benefit of his people for whom he died, He allowed himself to undergo death, burial, and then the glorious resurrection. And they all focus on Christ and his boundless love for us, and God the fathers and the spirits to us, his holy church. The blood of cleansing brings us continual blessing. We are owned by God. Verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, when the Bible here talks about entrance into the promised land, the bigger picture here is the church's life in Christ and the gospel. We have entered the promised land of the person of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that the ultimate end of all things is Christ. It's not something else. It's not heaven. It's not happiness. It's not health. It's not anything the world can offer us. The ultimate end of all things is Christ, and we already own him by faith in the hope of our seeing him with the eyes of resurrected bodies on the last day. We're going to be talking about that, Lord willing, a little bit on Sunday out of Daniel 12. And the portrait here that God has is a gathered elect church under the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. The language of verse 28, you shall be my people and I will be your God, is new covenant terminology. Again, Jeremiah 31, the famous text, verse 33b, these words are found, I will be their God and they shall be my people. We get owned by God and put into his community, his covenant, his church. By Sovereign Grace. And this week, listen to the words of our Messiah from John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and he who comes to me I will in no way cast out. We are owned by God and we are sustained by God. Verse 29a. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses. Again, the forgiveness of sins comes back to the fore here. At the beginning of this text, now at the end. The forgiveness of sins, the heart of the gospel. It impinges on everything we've talked about here tonight. Baptism, cleansing us from sin, even as the Spirit's anointing from on high is symbolized in the pouring or sprinkling process. And the new covenant promise ends in a crescendo of the blessing of forgiveness, again from Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four b For I will forgive their iniquity. <laughs> These are great words. And their sin I will remember. No more. Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday are all really about the sacrifice and victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who grants us as church our perfect freedom from sin. Beloved, the blood of cleansing is typified in our baptisms, fulfills the new covenant, and brings us continual blessing. Let's pray and be thankful. Father, thank you for that. It is a great thing to consider the blood of cleansing Jesus Christ our Lord, providing that for us. We thank you that though it cost him everything, it also brought him the highest glory as he is the sole, exclusive, sovereign, Lord, King, Ruler, Emperor of the world, and he's the loving shepherd of his church, the head of the church, part of his own body. We thank you that he accomplished this through his blood shed for us and his resurrection. We bless you for him. In his holy name, Christ the Lord. Amen.